Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to be gathered. It's great to have you join us here in person or join us online as we worship the Lord, as we open His Word. Uh, Before Tom comes up and we open the Scriptures, I just want to say welcome. If you're a guest with us, we're so grateful you are here. We'd love to have you fill out a guest check-in card, which is in the pew in front of you. Or if you're online, there is a guest check-in above your screen, uh, depending on how you're broadcasting that, of course. Um, We'd love to be able to pray for you and serve you however we can. Just a couple of quick things. Uh, before we go into this next um, section of our worship this morning. Uh, The first is, is if you're giving a gift today, uh, you can do that, worship through giving boxes or at the back or online. Um, Those are both options for you there. We also, there's been been a lot of prep over the last week or two here. Uh, Last Wednesday, we had several leaders from Children's Ministry getting ready for the fall season. You may have noticed in your bulletin last week that our fall season ministry is getting ready to start. And so, so the dates are there in your bulletin. If you have any questions about registering your kids and all that stuff, please let us know. Um, children's ministry will begin in September on Wednesday nights, and that's pre-K through 6th grade. And then we have 7th through 12th grade. All those leaders, by the way, if you're a student ministry leader, 7th through 12th grade, you are having a meeting today. If you didn't know, now you do, uh, after our morning service. And that's a time of equipping and planning and getting ready for their season of ministry, which begins in just a couple weeks here. So uh, keep them in prayer as they get ready for a very full fall. Many of these folks are giving um, several months of their lives to give at least one day of that week to love and to care for kids. It's our desire that we show our kids Jesus, that we teach them God's word and help them walk with him faithfully as God has called and equipped them. Um, So be in prayer for them as they do that. Um, I also wanted to update you just as a church family on where we're at with the search process for another pastor. Um, Last week we had a parents meeting. We talked through that a little bit. Um, I shared with them a completed job description. There are 20 copies of that back at the table that way, kind of the west entrance. There's 20, 20 copies of that. If they're not there when you're there, please feel free to ask me and I will send you one. Um, we are, we've been praying and, and working on, God, how do we best um, make disciples here within our community? It, as elders, several months of this summer have been God, where you want us to be? God, how do we get there? God, what's the next step look like? And so the job description of the Associate Pastor for Youth and Discipleship Ministries reflects in part that. Uh, We desire to have a a church, not just student ministry, but a a church who makes disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Now, that is like a phrase you've probably heard, but, but really what it means is this, is it means that you're following Jesus in such a way that you're speaking God's truth into someone else so that they can then in turn speak God's truth into someone else. It's, it's really multiplying ourselves and allowing God to do the work of conviction, God to do the work of calling. We're just there to share the message of Jesus and walk with people no matter what their day, life, week, 
um, looks like in that pursuit. And so that is represented in there. And, and as we go into this fall, we're going to talk a lot more about this. In fact, uh, in September, I think it's September 8 is a Sunday. Maybe it's 15. It's 15, I think, is the Sunday that we are. It's that second Sunday in September, whatever Sunday that is. Thank you, September 12th. Okay, Sundays and Wednesdays are my, are my days. I think the 15th is maybe Wednesday. Anyways, um, on September 12th, we're going to begin a whole new uh, teaching series. We're actually going to wrap up one this week. We're going to do a standalone talking about communion next week. Um, looking forward to that. And then the following week, we're going to begin a new series called Band-Aids, Buckets, and a Table. And you're like, what on earth? Okay, Band-Aids, Buckets, and Table. We'll talk more about that. But those four weeks, it's going to be a four-week series, Band-Aids, Buckets, and we're going to talk about the table twice. And Jesus called for people to follow him. And that will be a very foundational four-week series for our community, I believe. Uh, as elders and I have been praying and talking through a lot of these ideas, uh, we are just, just impressed over and over and over again how much God pursues us and how he calls us into living at the table with him. And we'll talk more about that. We'll kind of unpack that for us, that kind of vocabulary. But that will help set a framework for what we believe God is calling us to as a church who intentionally makes disciples who makes disciples. So I appreciate your prayer as we continue to get ready for that and as we uh, begin to look forward to those things to come. So yeah, job descriptions are out there. You can look at that if you want. There's also a search process that elders and I worked on this week and finalized a kind of an intentional method to go through the process. So if you have questions about the process, that is now more formalized and in writing out there. Again, if they're gone when you get there, just let me know. I'll be happy to get you one. Um, finally, in our parents meeting last week, I was so, so thankful for the conversations that we were able to have. Um, one of the conversations that came up was uh, how to best scripturally educate our children, specifically, where are we going with Sunday school in the future? So I thought before Tom comes up, let's just go ahead and have this kind of church family conversation. Um, as staff and as elders, we've really prayed and wrestled with how do we continue to adjust to an ever-shifting culture. And, and I'm not just talking about like the, the culture shifting um, outside of the church, but even inside the church. We desire to teach the Word of God to our kids. We, we, we do. And one of the ways we are doing that intentionally this fall is we're investing a lot of time and a lot of, of heart. And a lot of you are investing a lot of time and a lot of heart in our Wednesday focused upon um, preschool through that, um, that sixth grade, and then on Sunday, um, that seventh through twelfth. Um, one of the challenges that we have had in this, like, coronavirus uh, since, uh, since the beginning of that until now is on any given day, you've got people who are sick. On any given day, you have people who are gone for one reason or another. And we're trying to do what we do and do it the very best that we can. We desire to get back to a point where we can have a more intentional, like, like we're very open to having a more intentional second hour where there's graded Sunday school options. And I know that's the heart of many of you as well. We want to be intentional. We want to be able to do it well. And we're wrestling through what that looks like um, because of where we're at. Uh, I, I know in the last week, I've had four friends of mine from different family units get sick. <laughs> and there's just numerous things when you're planning to teach kids and needing to have the right amount of people in the room for the right amount of kids. There's a lot of variables there. I say all this to say, we desire to teach and to instruct kids in the scriptures. And 
we don't know what the future looks like, but we are looking forward towards January and beyond in particular right now of what does a graded Sunday school option look like. To do that well, there are several things that we are praying towards, that I'm praying towards. Number one, for a lot of the health stuff going on in our world to settle down a little bit, um, for people to stay healthy, for, for God to do a work of healing within a nation. Also praying that God would send the right people. We have several people, even in the last week, who've said, hey, I will help step into that gap, and I'm so thankful for you. Uh, to do a graded Sunday school option throughout the full calendar year, it takes it takes needing volunteers willing to give at least 12 to 16 weeks of their year, not all straight in a row, but to investing their lives into these students and, and to be able to build relationships with them and to have some consistency with that. So maybe this morning God is saying, hey, that's you. And, and I want to be careful because I never want to guilt anyone into ministry. In fact, one of my core, core values that I think I've embraced more in the last several months is I want, I want us as a church and I want myself to be working in the areas of greatest strength for the kingdom. The things that God calls me to, because there's a lot of things I can do, but God doesn't call me to do everything. He calls me to specific things that I uniquely have to do. Which means for me, sometimes I have to say, I can do that, but I'm not going to. My ask is this. Would you do one thing? Would you pray? Would you pray and say, God, where would you have me serve the kingdom within this church family? And maybe that's being a Sunday school teacher. Because we could use some more of those if we go back to a graded option. We, we definitely need that. Maybe for some of you, it's stepping into something else. Maybe God's calling you more into like, like a media perspective or, or a worship arts perspective. Or you love working with students. There's many ways for you to be involved. And there's a lot of things we can do. But would you pray and say, God, direct me to the things that you would have me do. That, I think, is part of us helping discern the center of God. Where do you have us? I believe with all my heart that God provides what we need when we pray and we ask him and when we're obedient to his call. Again, I do not want to guilt anyone into anything. And I know that all of us are in a different spot in life and in family and in ministry. But would you just pray and say, God, where do you have me right here, right now? That would be my ask for you. Um, we as a staff, we as a elder team, we love you, church family. We absolutely love you. We, we, we count it a privilege to serve Christ alongside of you. And frankly, we are in this thing called following Jesus together. We're in this thing called making disciples together. We have to be. Not only because God says you're a family, but because we have this shared thing that is greater than anything else in the world, that we are in Christ. And the scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. So anyone who's a follower of Jesus, you're my brother, you're my sister. And I count it a privilege to stand and sit beside you. So as we do that, Tom's going to come up in a minute. Let's just pray for a moment and and pause even right now to pray for, for, for dear people in Haiti who are experiencing uh, the aftermath of earthquakes and hurricanes and another one coming up through the Gulf Coast. Oh, all these things. Our Father and our King, we can look at the world and be very, be very discouraged sometimes, God, to see how people's lives are affected in such 
um, foundational ways. We think of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in Haiti. Um, on, the, on the back end of an earthquake, on the back end of a tropical storm, there's another hurricane coming through that entire region. God, we pray that you would keep them safe. Um, we pray, God, that you would keep the people of Haiti safe and allow the gospel to be something that transforms even the difficulty that they face here today. And God, we, we pray for your wisdom and your leading as a church family. God, we don't want to walk in front of you. We don't want to walk too far behind you. We want to walk in step with our Savior and our Lord. And God, I pray for wisdom to know how to do that in the best way. Um, as Ezekiel says, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to set upon what you want to show us, because that's why you've brought us here. Our Father, we, we pray for families this morning, uh, some of them walking through some difficult health issues related to COVID or other things. And God, we pray that you would encourage them, that you would remind them that, that they're dearly loved. And God, would you meet them in a very special way this morning, whether they're joining us online or whether whether they're just struggling through some really difficult days. God, finally, we, we are privileged to be your children. You call us your children, God, when we come to you trusting Jesus' work by dying on the cross for our sins and by being raised from the grave. God, we are your children. And with that comes great joy because you look at us no longer as enemies of the cross of Christ. You look at us as friends. You look at us as loved ones. God, we did nothing to deserve this. And yet, because of your mercy and your grace, here we stand and here we sit. God, walk with us today. Walk with us today. Give us a heart for people far from God. Father, give us opportunities to speak the word of God courageously and fearlessly to a world that desperately needs to know that Jesus saves. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you sing with me? I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Take joy. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. In what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your Amen. May the Lord give each of us wisdom about how he would like us to bring glory to his name in the things that he has us do together as a church family and in the lives that we live day to day. I'd like to introduce my message this morning by turning our attention to a very ancient statement of faith one that we've recited here at First Baptist Church before. It is taken directly from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It's known as the Shema. 
And in Hebrew, the first part of that statement of faith, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, is spoken as Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. So you have Shema, it means here. Yisrael, we would say in English is Israel. Adonai, the Lord. Eloheinu is our God. Adonai, the Lord, Achad, is one. So hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. I'd like us to say that responsibly in English, and so I'd invite you to rise to recite from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And what I'll do is I will read a phrase, and then you may uh, repeat it. And so it says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, I pray your Holy Spirit would fill me that you would put words in my mouth that bring glory to your name, that please you, that say what you want to say to my brothers and sisters that are here and that are listening online. Lord, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters, and also, Lord, if anyone who is far from you is listening, that your Holy Spirit might illumine hearts and minds and that people might receive your word. And draw close to you. I ask in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the reason I'd like to introduce my message with the Shema is because of something that I mentioned a minute ago as I introduced it. I said the Shema is spoken in Hebrew this way. But the Shema is written in Hebrew in a different way. And so when we say Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu, uh, using the word Adonai, uh, we are using a word in Hebrew that means the Lord. But uh, the word that's actually written there in Hebrew is God's covenant name. And then when we say Adonai Echad, the Lord is one. Uh, the Adonai, again, we're saying the Lord, but the word that's actually written there is God's covenant name. And the reason that is, is because in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, in verse 11, God in the Ten Commandments said, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. And so as the people of Israel throughout the years were uh, thinking about, well, how can we keep this command of the Lord? How can we avoid taking his name in vain? They came to the conclusion, you know, one way that we can avoid taking the Lord's name in vain is not to say the Lord's name. 
And so they began then, instead of saying God's covenant name as they read the scripture, instead to say the word Adonai, which means the Lord. And so as the people of Israel are saying, we no longer feel that we can pronounce God's covenant name, but we want to communicate who God is. And so what is the best word that we can find to substitute for God's covenant name so that as we are not saying it, uh, we can best communicate who he is and what he is like. And out of all the words in the Hebrew language that they could have chosen from, they, say, they said, we believe that the word Adonai best communicates who God is. And so every time that we do not say his name, we will say Adonai instead. And so if you go to a synagogue and they are reading from the Hebrew scripture, then every place where God co God's covenant name appears, they will read or say Adonai instead. And the reason I say all of that is because that's the name that I'd like to talk about today. I'd like to talk about God's name, Adonai, the Lord. What does it mean for God to say Adonai, or God to be called Adonai? And with that in mind, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, I'd like to look at verses 1 through 8 this morning. And so, I'd like to invite you to stand up again. And I'd like to read Isaiah chapter 6, 1 to 8, in your hearing. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. You may be seated. So this passage is describing the call of the prophet Isaiah 
to serve as a prophet, his call to ministry. And when Isaiah's call to ministry came, it wasn't that he was looking in an online job post and he said, wow, that sounds like an interesting vocation. I think maybe I'll be a prophet. And it wasn't that he said, well, you know, the, the pay and benefits are pretty good. That sounds attractive. And, um, you know, he didn't say, well, um, it's the type of thing that I might uh, enjoy doing with my life. But it was a matter of seeing God in all of his glory and all of his holiness. And when that happened, that is what called Isaiah to serve the Lord. And so in verse 1, it tells us that he saw God on a throne high and lifted up, and that the train, just the corner of his robe, filled the entire temple. And there were glorious seraphim there, angels. And the glory of God was so great that even the glorious angels couldn't look at God's glory. They had to cover up their eyes. And verses 3 and 4 tell us that as one of the angels is shouting that God is holy, that his voice was so powerful that the doorposts of the temple are shaking and the temple is filling with smoke. And imagine what it would be like for us to see God in his glory in that way this morning. And so we have God high and lifted up above us, and he is so majestic that just the corner of his robe is filling up this entire building, and we're all kind of getting forced out into the parking lot because there's not room for us because he's filling up the building. And there's angels that are above his throne, and they cannot look at his glory. They're covering his eyes, and they're crying out that he's holy, holy, holy. And their voice is so powerful, this whole building is shaking, and it's filling up with smoke. I know if that happened, I would be impressed. And Isaiah was impressed. And so, as Isaiah is impressed, he sees the Lord, and he says... How does he describe it? He says, I saw the Lord. I saw Adonai. And so if you look in verse 6, the word Lord there, as you are looking at the word Lord as it's written in the English Bible, most of the time that you see the word Lord, it'll be written one of two different ways in most translations. And one of the ways is the way it appears here in verse 1. It says, I saw the Lord. You have a capital L. You have a lowercase r, a lowercase o, a lowercase r, a lowercase d. And then if you go down to verse 3, you will likely see one of the other common ways that Lord is written in the English Bible. You'll see a capital L, and then you'll see a small caps O, a small caps R, and a small caps D. And so... As you're reading through your Bible, if it's written the way most English Bibles are, in the Old Testament, wherever you see the word Lord, and it's written uh, capital L and then lowercase o-r-d, it's a translation of the word Adonai. And whenever you see the Lord and it's written with a capital L and then a small cap, o-r-d, then it's a translation of God's covenant name. 
And so as we then are looking at verse 1 here in chapter 6, and Isaiah is trying to communicate the awesomeness of God, the first thing he says is, I saw the Lord. I saw Adonai. And so as we see Isaiah's reaction to Adonai, we learn a little bit about what the word Adonai means. And in the first part of verse 5, Isaiah's reaction shows us that, among other things, we are accountable to Adonai for our sins. And so he says in the first part of verse 5, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. God is holy and righteous and good and just, and he is not only holy and righteous and good and just himself, but he created us to be holy and righteous and good and just. And the problem is we do not start out holy, righteous, good, and just. And not only do we not start out holy, righteous, good, and just, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves holy, righteous, good, and just. We are born sinners, and there is nothing we can do to stop ourselves from being sinners. Now, we may look around and compare ourselves with others, and if we look long and hard enough, we can usually find someone that's a little bit worse than we are. You know, you have maybe a guy who is a guard in a concentration camp. And he sends people into the gas chamber. And he says, well, you know, I sent a thousand innocent people to their deaths. But that guy sent a thousand and one innocent people to their deaths. So I'm not such a bad guy. I'm better than him. And uh, we kind of do that. We look around and we say, well, you know, I'm not like that liar over there. I'm not like that murderer over there. I'm not like that hypocrite over there. I guess I'm not such a bad person after all. And so, you know, we feel a little bit better about ourselves. But when we come into the presence of God and all of his holiness and all of his glory, suddenly we realize something. We realize I am like that liar over there. And I'm like that murderer over there. And I'm like that hypocrite over there. I'm a sinful person. I've offended a holy and righteous God. I cannot stand in his sight. And so as we come to see Adonai for who he is, we come to realize who we are in our sinful state. 
And it's not a pretty picture for us. Now, verse 5b shows another reaction that helps to realize who Adonai is. And so he says, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so as Isaiah is seeing Adonai, he realizes that Adonai is the king. And when we're talking about Adonai being the king, we're not talking about a king in the modern ceremonial figurehead sense of the word, where the king goes to different uh, functions in order to cut ribbons and stuff like that. But really, somebody else is making all of the decisions. But we're talking about the king in the ancient Near Eastern sense of the word, where the king is the guy whose word is law. And so the king says, jump, and everybody says, how high on the way up? Because he is the boss with a capital B. And so when it says that God is Adonai, it means God is the boss. Too often we have the attitude that, well, you know, I'd kind of like to see what God's Word says so that I can decide if I agree with it or not. And I'd kind of like to know what God commands so I can decide if I want to obey Him. And I'd kind of know what God's will is so that I can decide if I would like to do it. But when we do this, we are forgetting that God is Adonai. He is the boss. And so as we look into his word, we're not trying to decide whether or not we agree with what he says. We're going there to have our incorrect opinions corrected by what God says. And when God commands us to do something, it's not so we can decide whether or not we should obey what he says, but it's so that we can obey what he says. And when God shows us its will, it's not so we can decide whether or not we want to do its will, but it's so we can obey his will. Because he is the king, the Lord of hosts. God, Adonai, the Lord, is the boss. Now, those aspects of God as Adonai would be extremely discouraging if it wasn't for another aspect that we see in verses 6 and 7. And so, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And so Adonai is not only the one to whom we're accountable to for our sins, and he's not only the boss with a capital B, but he is also the one who offers forgiveness and cleansing. And so in Isaiah's vision, a coal from the altar 
touches his lips, and it takes away his iniquity, and it purges his sin. And this coal from off the altar is a foreshadowing of the ministry of Jesus Christ, that the day would come when Jesus Christ would be nailed to the cross, and there he would shed his blood on the altar of God's perfect righteousness and justice on our behalf, so that then the blood from off of the altar could cleanse us from our sins. And so in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and pay special attention to one word in here, but if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and will believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so as we come to Romans 10, 9, and 10, we find out that the, the Lord, Adonai of the Old Testament, is the Lord Kurios of the New Testament. And Jesus Christ is that Lord. And so we come to a point in our life where we recognize that Jesus Christ is the one to whom we owe an accounting for our sins. And he is the one who is the boss with a capital B. And he is the one who offers forgiveness and cleansing through faith in him. And so if we will recognize ourselves as sinners who have offended a holy God, we can come to Jesus Christ and through faith in him receive forgiveness and cleansing and become God's child through faith in Jesus Christ. He gives us new life who himself has risen from the dead. Well, having put our faith in Jesus Christ, we can then follow the example of Isaiah in chapter 6 and verse 8. He says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. After Isaiah was forgiven, he was so happy that he was eager to go and be the messenger of the one who had cleansed him and washed away his iniquity. And as we have been forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ, then we are called to be messengers for Jesus Christ to a world that is lost and desperately needs him, to people who are far from God. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? May we 
recognize Jesus as Lord. May we receive the forgiveness that he offers. May we obey his commands. May we share the good news about him with people who are far from him. Let's pray. Ah, Heavenly Father, in our hearts, may we see you on a throne, high and lifted up. And with the seraphim, may we cry out, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. May we recognize our sin. May we recognize your authority. May we receive your forgiveness and cleansing. And may we go forth as witnesses for you. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about